This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I discuss the party's recent stay at Askinor Lodge, bring back My Favorite Monster to review classic subterranean baddie, The Gug, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, 15.3 miles away from the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. And we're back. Yeah, we're back, man. We are back. And after a long string of having some really, really good guests on, I think it's just time to have one with the boys. What do you say, Griff? One for the boys. One for the boys. It's just me and you here tonight because um, we got some fun stuff to discuss and want to crack open a cold one with my boy on a Thursday night. How's that sound to you? Sounds good to me. Cool. What are you having? Well, Griff, for the first time in a little while on the show, actually, getting back in those hams. Oh, grabbing the hams. Yep. Ah, cold, refreshing, delicious, as always. And I've got 28 more of them in my fridge. Griff. Okay. What are you drinking, man? I'm having a uh, tangerine white claw mm. this time. I have a... Uh, Another one in the can, then I'm going to leave the room and get myself some bourbon if this goes past two cans. So uh, feel, feel <laughs> that's like, where we feel are. Like you, maybe you should have just brought the bourbon. Going to go ca- past two cans. Get out of here. You're right. I should probably get the yeah. bourbon. But I also only have two cans, so we might have to pause. Yeah, we'll just we'll pause. We'll pause for edit. Go get it. Uh, speaking of pause for edit, Steve, um, <laughs> my sidearm PC just decided to blue screen so i'm gonna go ahead and i didn't forget i would be putting on sirenscape right now in fact future griffin is going to edit in the music to start right now but it might not be a sirenscape track i'm not sure what i'm gonna put in because i'm just not gonna fuck with it (laughs) wow that sounds great What's that sample set, Griff? <laughs> and this is when we would edit in. This is where we would edit it in, yeah. But I, I, I'm probably just going to take like a Kevin McLeod track and loop it or something. <laughs> That's totally fine, man. Understandable. It's happened to the best of us. But you know what? Looking back, I think the only other time I had to do that was the time we uh, interviewed my dad. Really? Other than that, yeah. they've always been live. Yeah, the Sirenscape's always live. It just depends. Like, guy, for the listeners, the shitty part about the the sound setups and running it into Zoom to have a call with Steve and then doing the call and the recording and all that is that unlike when we're in the studio and we can all hear the sound set that we put on in the background, usually I'm the only one that can hear it. So when we've had guests on for the past couple of weeks, I'm like, I'm putting this on. You'll hear the final product. (laughs) Just trust me. (laughs) I'll put on one that flatters you. And and one of the most crucial parts of operating Sirenscape on this show and the regular show is knowing when sound sound sets are bad and you chose poorly. And now there's there's no checks and balances here. Because sometimes (laughs) you'll you'll fire up a sound set and it sounds good for a while, and then there'll be like 
just like a, a man randomly sneezing or a dog barking over and over again. Oh God, some of the ones like I love them for the ambiance they create, but for something that's just a backing track, you really gotta like scroll down the list of 40, 40 sounds Ben Looms has in each one. <laughs> yeah, in each one of the uh, sound sets, and be like, okay, turn off coughing, turn off. Uh, drunk half work or leave drunk half work in when Brooks is on. Yeah. Like turn off like all the sick people and like the fly buzzing. It's not easy, man. A lot of great stuff in there for at the table, but when it's just a backing track, sometimes you just want the the music or the the waves and the wind. Well, you know what? I bet the sound set you chose is spectacular and people are really going to love it this week. So, I'm sure it's all going to be fine. Yeah, you know. That's how we do. That's what, that's what I do. That's what I. Hey, we could say you did it this time. Uh, nobody would know. Except, no, except no, for all because the, if I said I did it, you just wouldn't play a Sirenscape. <laughs> I just do like an hour and a half of fart noises. Oh, God. Because that's something you've played. Which, yeah, which <laughs> also exists. Also <laughs> exists on Sirenscape. Griff, man, what's been going on with you? I, I see you're in a little bit of a different setup today. I am in a different setup, so I finally got unfurloughed. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> so I'm, I'm back to my uh, normal 9 to 5, but they basically told us when I came back that we're not going to be back in the office until 2021. And so with that and with the <laughs> The knowledge that I was uh, going into a job, I decided to spruce up my personal setup a little bit because for the past God knows how long, I haven't had a real computer to jam on that wasn't a laptop because my desktop is in the game room tied and up used, with that. like solidly in there, <laughs> used to record our episodes and plugged into the soundboard. So I got myself a new... Um, gaming streaming computer and with that a uh, new desk and a new setup here so that uh, that was a couple days of putting shit together but mm-hmm. I'm pretty pleased with how it operates and and but like the cream of the crop here tell me about that standing desk dude I'll, I, we'll see if this picks up on the mic <laughs> I hope it does I'm just going to electronically raise it, and now I'm getting further and further away from the mic, so now I have to stand up. And I didn't uh, hear no, anything. No, Maybe the listeners down. will, but yeah, his entire screen shifts up. He's got this crazy electric standing desk that'll follow him up and down when you when you push the buttons. It's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, uplift desks, they're, uh, they're not exactly cheap, but if you get what I got, I mean, you'll pay five, six hundred bucks, but it's like super high quality standing desk yeah when we were recording uh last weekend big chunk of episodes through through 99 after after a certain point you just pulled me and you're like dude check this out and then recently we're talking (laughs) about how all those zones of truth ago i was right about standing up while you work you you were right i i spent my first week back at work uh doing an hour on or an hour in the chair half an hour on the desk just rotate through it and uh, I like the strategy of like set up a space or if you have a standing desk, just use your standing desk. But I like to stand up during my meetings. Mm-hmm. So I just stand up. So you can I power pose, right? So I can power pose. Yeah. 
Uh, mainly so people don't see the background of the fucking room. Because usually there's like two dogs just like being distracting as fuck <laughs> in the background. Or one of the cats will come in and I have to... Uh, it derails the whole meeting, Steve. Oh, dude, I totally believe it. I don't have any pets of my own, but I, I can't count how many meetings I've been on over the last few weeks of just like cat jumps into somebody's lap. And then it's like the entire like eight person meeting just grinds to a halt while everyone's like put him yep. on put him on put him on put the boy on let yep. the boy watch and and don't get me wrong it's always super cute but i i'm i'm here for you man i understand exactly what you're saying dude i had a i had like a 5 p.m start time meeting and marcy rocked into the room like the little brat she is caused that meeting to go 10 minutes over and I did not want that meeting to go 10 minutes over. <laughs> I was like fucking past six on a call because my stupid dog. That's amazing. Love her to death, but she's killing me. And I get it. She's super cute, man. Um, but you know, you're back at work, albeit from home. You got the desk. You got the super cool chair. You got pets coming in and out. I know you're still trying to keep yourself busy, though, because we're not exactly really going out anymore. And nope. let's let's hop back into this reoccurring segment here that I've never really named. This is just uh, some updates of what we've been doing to keep ourselves. I mean, you always call insane. it you always call it quarantine updates on the on the sheets. So. It is called quarantine updates. Let's go, Jack. Quarantine updates. All right. I've been saying it this whole time. I'm sure I have. Been. There you go. You uh, did it. So 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 Griff, let's just start with you, man. What you been doing? Uh, well, since this computer is a gaming PC, it's the first time in a while I've had one to to play on. Um, picked up the game Maneater in mm-hmm. the past uh, in the past couple of days, and it is just lovely. It's now, so now, much fucking fun. Now that's now that's a newer one, and maybe not like the most hyped title ever. Although I've seen some advertisements and stuff around. So there might be a good amount of folks listening right now who aren't really familiar. Cause and it, it is a great concept. So can you introduce it to the fans? So it is in essence, if jaws met an action RPG and you, the main character are jaws. <laughs> so you, uh, the, the whole premise of the show, and, and it's beautifully done, by the way, there's a narrator, like you're on a nature show, like a nature documentary, that narrates what your shark is doing and like what the enemies are doing, because a lot of times the enemies will be like, uh, like shark hunters or that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like the show is called Maneater. So it's like following you around uh, and it's like, oh, the shark breaches from the water. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a rare display of power. <laughs> that that really like that really strikes the right chord with me and I'm sure a bunch of other people who grew up watching like the Discovery Channel and TLC. Oh yeah, it's very Animal it's Planet. very like Discovery Channel esque. It's very Shark Week, mm-hmm. and so you start the game as a as like a baby shark, and you you eat stuff to level up. Uh, you feel pretty powerful against enemies that don't really fight back, but when enemies do, like, they start you in the bayou because you're a bull shark, and you end up fighting, like, or running into alligators that are six levels higher than you, Mm -hmm. that just eat you, like, straight up eat you. Uh, And so the whole concept of the game is that you can really customize your shark, 
so sharks have some different stats and um, like ferocity is one of them and and agility and it's kind of like it's it's like your standard RPG stat system but equated to sharks uh, yeah. but you also get different evolutions it kind of reminds me like it makes me think of a uh, almost like a need for speed type game where you can upgrade your shark with like like different fins fin evolutions that make it that do different things like different jaw evolutions that do different things kind of like in a need for speed where you like upgrade your tires and you upgrade you know different parts of your, like just your engine or yeah, yeah. whatever uh, and they all do different things but it really changes up the way that the shark maneuvers on the screen and plays um, and it's just I mean Maybe not the most fun game if you have uh, thalassophobia, because <laughs> you do end up in like deep murky water. Uh, but it's it's a real blast. So that's that's top of my list in the last couple of weeks that I've been uh, playing. And then uh, Haley and I have continued to watch uh, as it comes out on FX the second season of What We Do in the Shadows, and it's just gotten so damn good like the show is if you like the movie please watch the show because I feel like the show explores so much more of that world and it's such a goofy world when the vampires like aren't serious but are and uh, it's it's very fun how, how long are Plus, those episodes uh, are, are they half hours or hours uh, they're half hours so oh they're, they're dude short. I should jump on that yeah you could you could binge that whole thing in a day but uh, has I mean, we've been watching it since season one came out, but Matt Barry in that movie is more what I based Duristan off of than Matt Barry. I mean, he kind of has the mannerisms of Matt Barry in the IT crowd, but mm-hmm. like with the just shouting strange things that he does in what we do in the shadows. So. Dear God, I, what, what we do in the shadows, we, I saw that movie with Brooks and Emily when it came out long, long time ago, and we loved it to death. Um, never picked up the show, but I mean, not only from yourself, but from a whole bunch of different people. I heard, you know, you're saying it. Other people are saying it. Matt Barry's in it. It's a good yep. show. I'm saying it. Haley's saying it. Everybody's saying it. It's a good yeah. show. So uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to catch up on that one. <laughs> it's, it's really cool because if you watch the movie, like the characters are different, but the characters from the movie show up in the show. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty fun. You know that that movie just for me did vampires right like they were they were goofy and tropey but they were poking fun in a way that like a like a scary movie or a a date movie or one of those like kind of that would make fun of that kind of stuff isn't successful whereas what we do in the shadows there's like extended bits of them wanting to go out partying and every time they get to the club, they have to ask the bouncer to come inside. Yep. <laughs> like the way they approach the 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 tropes and the cliches is in a real fun, like interesting way. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it had a really good sense of humor. And I want to think more. when we finally like reach like book five is the vampire book. I think when we reach that, like I want to incorporate some of the what we do in the shadows type humor into it because mm-hmm. I mean you could you could go full vampire horror, but it's vamp the vampire genre I think is the one that's been watered down the most with both comedy and romance yeah. stuff that kind of 
takes away from the horror aspect of what a vampire is, kind of makes it like sexier than what it is. And so I figure if it's not going to be that scary, because everyone's desensitized make to what a vampire it sexier. is. Make it sexier. Make it sexy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> make it as sexy as possible. But and that's why all the characters are going to be Matt Berry. I don't know if we're ever going to make it out of five. We just might be stuck there. We'll just end the book there. <laughs> that's fine. What about you? What have you been doing? Oh, boy. Well, so I have been behind in my TV entertainment for the past several years. And this quarantine has given me a good opportunity to catch up. I mean, come on. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about how I was catching. Like, I was starting Ozark for the first time. Like that show has been out for a while. So yeah. I am finally watching Altered Carbon and I'm part of the way through season two. Season one. Have you seen? Have you seen Altered Carbon? I haven't. I've heard really good things. It's uh, fucking. Great. It reminds me of. It's it's kind of like the Pathfinder Android mechanic, right? Where it's like souls come back in different bodies. Yeah. Like you could be, like the, the the mechanic is that like the rich people can mm-hmm. like never have to die and come back in a. Because you're a young person's body, your body—they call them sleeves—and you've got this little chip that gets inserted in the back of your the back of your neck, which basically contains your spirit or your soul, and you can pull that out and put it in a different person. Um, I, I had heard really good things about the show. Man, fucking that season one was an amazing like cyberpunk noir mystery. It was so good. And and the the sci-fi behind it was really cool. They were they they brought up a lot of like difficult spiritual and social social issues like tied to it too. Like you know, there's there's like this is a few hundred years in the future, and there's this wave of like neo neo Catholics who you know want souls to go to heaven and like look down on people that pull their souls out and put them in another body and effectively live forever and then you have like the society thing of yeah the rich people can like custom tailor their bodies through genetic engineering and they back up their souls so even if you destroy their chip they'll like reboot but are they the same person when they reboot and like does death have any meaning when you've lived for 300 years and when the human body isn't valued anymore, like, what does that do for entertainment? So now, like, people are going to whorehouses where, like, you can go have sex and then, like, go blow your partner's brains out with a handgun. Like, and that's just part of the experience because you can do it and it doesn't really mean anything or Matter. does it? As long as you have the money. <laughs> yeah. So a, lo- a lot of challenging things come up in that show and I think it's really well done. I'm part of the way into the second season now um I've, I've heard some mixed reviews about it i'm enjoying it so far it's very different that first season like is one kind of self-contained or can be a self-contained story and it's executed superbly um past that well I'll, I'll have to keep watching and let you guys know um but besides that um midnight tonight the new uh, Ghost Inside record drops. I haven't listened to it yet, but the new singles have been dope, and it's their first new music in six years. Already talked about them on the show. I just need to let people know that I'm hyped for it. When you guys listen to this on Monday, I've already listened to the record probably like 12 times. And finally, what else has been keeping me sane? 
well. The HLP is starting to get our, our, our toes in the pool of streaming. And on the weekends, sometimes before our Friday night movie nights where we hop on and watch with a bunch of people from the carrying crowd, or we go on Drunk and Discordly on a Saturday night, Brooks and I'll sit down and just kind of randomly stream two or three hours of some super goofy ass computer game. And on Wednesdays, when the crew is usually all, with the exception of Haley, playing our Rune Lords game, Haley will jump on the stream and set up a, a game of The Sims 4 where she creates the rest of us. So Brooks, Emily, Griff, and myself, and she just tries to murder us. And apparently people like watching that. It, I mean, I too did for part of it while we were playing. I just kind of, I think we all kind of had it up in the background just to mm-hmm. see. I mean, you're always curious when uh, somebody's like, I made a character that's you and I want to see how long you live. <laughs> yep. So uh, I tuned into it and it was like actually legitimately fun to watch. I uh, I was surprised that I would actually enjoy watching The Sims. Yeah, me Probably too. when you make it a concept like that, it's like hard to look away. I, I Yeah, I've never played before. Of course, I'm, you know, peripherally familiar with it. It's a part of culture, but uh, I just really had a blast last night tuning back and forth between the Rune Lords and that. And it was it was wild. Um Haley's a little sadistic. Um, Emily was the only survivor two weeks ago. I was the only survivor last night. And we die in pretty horrific ways. I think, uh, Griff, you got eaten by a cow plant last night. Plant with a face of a cow. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, the time before, though, the time before that, I, I died because I got really tired and then decided I wanted to go out into the ocean for a swim. Plausible. Who does that? And drowned. But then I came back as a fucking ghost that could only be described as old Greg. <laughs> I was like a wet, like a it, literally a wet ghost that's whole desire was to make other people wet, force other people to go to the bars and sing karaoke. <laughs> well, I know you made a lot of people wet there, man. That was, uh, that was, that was good times. <laughs> I think I was, uh, obsessed with like cleaning the house and then cleaned everything and the dryer exploded in flames or something and I died. Yeah, but like the funny thing is Haley left the remnants of two weeks ago in last week and so you and your ghost ended up fucking in the shower which is just this is totally true. Steve. This is true? That's a total Steve move. And I'm not against it. Who knows? Could be fun. You Patrick Swayze ghosted yourself. Surprised you and yourself didn't sit by a pottery wheel. Damn, you beat me to it. Beat me to it. Make the magic happen. (laughs) Yeah, um, that happened, and I have no regrets. No regrets whatsoever. So that's what I've been up to the last couple weeks, um, catching up on pop culture, getting ready for new stuff, and enjoying a little bit of streaming. Um, If you guys see that we're going to be streaming, we always throw it up on social media. Chop in there. It's always a good time. Um, Yeah, we're at Hideous Laughter Pod on twitch so yes and also follow us even if you don't watch the videos just follow us because that counts too that's important just just do it we'll love you the same yeah but anyway let's get into the meat of this episode so as our party is leaving Askinor lodge which for what could be the last time i wanted to do a quick look back 
at the lodge and maybe not spend too much time here, but I just kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit, Griffin. I don't have a lot of questions written down at all. I just want to kind of want you to word vomit a little bit. Like when you saw this coming up, were you excited for it? I, I did, you know, roughly, did you play it how it should have been played? Um, did you have any inspiration for it? Books, movies, video games? I don't know. Talk. Sure. Um, I was excited for Askinor Lodge. I think a lot, a lot of the fun aspects of Trial of the Beast were mm-hmm. that kind of investigation piece at the beginning. Not that the Schloss wasn't fun, but that was more. That was more the standard dungeon crawly part of of uh, book two. Mm-hmm. But um, in that vein, Askinor is very much a investigation in in terms of both the library and when you start to realize that stuff is happening in Askinor, things aren't right, um, you start to learn information, you you have this really fun cast of characters to play around with that you're essentially isolated with. Even though you can go on hunts and that kind of thing, the the mood starts to become that you're all kind of stuck in this hunting lodge with each other. And the characters kind of lend themselves to some more outrageous personalities, as I think you know you guys have <laughs> experienced. Certainly, yes. Uh, so I I was excited for it uh, for those reasons. I really like investigations. I think it's fun to toss around a couple red herrings or just like listen to you guys as you piece it together and figure it out. Um, because sometimes you figure it out right away. I remember running um, Rise of the Rune Lords in book two, and like the the midway boss got figured out by uh, our buddy John like immediately. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, it's this guy," and I was like, "Fuck, no, it's not. <laughs> no, how wrong. could it be him? <laughs> You're wrong." Um, what I wasn't as excited for uh, once once you became an investigator and we already had Haley as a um, as an occultist with object reading and, and all of the trappings that go with that I knew that this was going to be very difficult to make a challenge so I didn't really try I wanted you to feel the benefit of having that investigator level sure. to, to, to make that dip and, and for Haley to have you know object reading I've been vague before with it, but it really makes sense to use an ability like that to piece together an investigation. So I wasn't excited for it in terms of the kind of challenge it could it could pose to you guys, because I kind of figured that you would figure it out quicker than most groups. Um, mm-hmm. And and I was right. I mean, you got you got all the information from there. You actually left faster then like it's supposed to kind of devolve into this murder mystery thing after um after in in this last episode uh silas was killed you know i remember uh, you describing this part of the book as a murder mystery and as far as we are i was like it's not much of a murder mystery i mean it's it's not really a murder mystery mystery, right and then somebody eventually gets murdered but didn't realize it was yeah that was a that was a much bigger hook than maybe it turned out to be well, you got to think that you guys were at the lodge for two days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and most people spend like a week at Askinor. 
investigating stuff and figuring stuff out. It's just you guys immediately arouse suspicion, which causes several events to happen. So it like sped up the timetable. But by the same token, you figured out almost all the information in in like a day and a half. And so had all this information and could for all intents and purposes, leave the lodge. I mean, had you been more like halfway through your research and the murder happened, uh, you might be more invested in the, in the murder part of the story. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I wasn't going to like, it's kind of hard to, um, speed up a murder that's supposed to happen in the dead of night. When, <laughs> when, you, uh, can't get when you guys had spent one night there. Yep. Right. So, yep. um, so that's that's how it um, it played out, and and I wasn't expecting it to play that way, but I I think it turned out really well. I mean, some of the stuff like the like the posse investigation and the library combat, which is is not something that was in the book, but was something that just looking at ultimate intrigue is a very fun way of doing research that makes you feel like uh, you're almost in in a fight but also kind of rewards you for having that breadth of knowledge and having different uh different abilities in your party having that many ranks having it as a class skill it really rewards that kind of behavior and it allows and well normally it would allow me to stagger those big exposition dumps because you'd have to be doing a lot of damage um you know when the investigator like crits the library basically and does 15 points of damage to a library that's got like 25 health yep you you get all that expo- exposition at once but that's okay that's what the living grimoire uh, is made to do fight libraries <laughs> fight libraries <laughs> fight other holy books hell yeah um in terms of some inspiration behind it I mean I think Anyone that reads this is immediately going to think Clue, because oh, okay, it's, yeah, it, it's very much a like these characters are all quite the characters, much like the characters of Clue, and you're all in this certain area. You can't leave. You uh, you know stuff starts to happen, and everybody's kind of suspicious of everybody else, and. So it definitely has a clue vibe. And I think realistically, like the the challenge was to come up with compelling uh, personalities for these characters that you're probably never going to see again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times I like to, as a, as a GM, I like to save some of the more fun stuff for the reoccurring characters. But here you really need to make the NPC shine or this would have been the most boring book. It would have been ever. rough having, yeah, getting introduced to like 10, 10 NPCs. Oh, I'm a rich hunter. Cool. Oh, I'm a rich hunter. Cool. Like, yeah, like we're all aristocrats with what makes us different. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is, and it's not an inspiration for it, but I was inspired to get to this part of the book or to this part of the adventure, really, because as the listeners have seen, there are a lot of threads from our previous stuff that are intertwining here. Mm-hmm. 
you hear about Vrood for the second time, but the first time in conjunction with the Whispering Way, you hear about Saw, you, you know, we, we even had Silas who was brought in in Pavlos and Pals. Yep. Um, you, you get all of these connections from earlier on. You get more information about Kavalkasane um, and Mathis that, that have been introduced months, if not years ago. And so it's, I was just personally very excited to get here because it's really where the hard work of planting the seeds actually starts to show. It doesn't really show that much in book two. Honestly, I think book two is still seed planning mode. Mm -hmm. And book three is where you really get to start harvesting some of that stuff. I won't say that I won't be planting seeds the whole adventure, but it'll be more of a, like, my first harvest is done, and now I'm just doing it annually. (laughs) Instead of, like, a to to be a farmer here. I I understand, absolutely. And with what we have recorded in the bank and the plans that have been shared about what episode 100 is going to end up being... I think the the payoff is very important that all these threads come together so that we can have a few healthy episodes of um, of escalation, which are the 95, 6, 7, 8, 9, which, again, we got them in the bank, and they're bangers. Like, stuff's going to pay off, and it's going to ramp up real quick to... I mean, we're we're going to be recording episode 100, and I think nine days, and that's yeah nine days too late, too too many. Like I want to do this tonight. Yeah, I, I um, if if I had all my, you see the the thing is I needed to know exactly how 99 played out mm-hmm. to plan a hundred perfectly. And so I wasn't willing to go. Well, I don't think any of us could have possibly done uh, episodes 97, 98, 99, and then whatever three, four, however the fuck long part hundred's going to be in a row, as much as we all might have wanted to do it. But uh, I will say that, like, Askinor, as, as fun as it was and as uh, interesting of a place as it was, is, like, such small potatoes for this book like the culmination of this book is is so cool and so much fun that uh and and we're gonna like i mean we'll almost we'll be at one of the climactic moments in a hundred and um it's just it's gonna be a huge payoff it's gonna be super satisfying and that's why um as fun as askinor was I'm very pleased to be past it. Not because it was hard to run, not because of any of that, but because like you're going to have a smile on your face from like 97 till the fucking end, I think. <laughs> it like it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um I I mean I mean it's difficult to talk about any of this stuff that hasn't come out yet because we all know what happens through 99. Um but there was there's there's some good shit in there there's some good shit and the way episode 99 wraps up is it is great 
I'm just I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to say anything else. It's great. And I'm very excited for the next step, which um, and it, 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 just to peek back behind the screens one more time before we move on. Griff has talked to pretty much all of us individually with small stuff that we need to be ready for um, because we're all going to be prepared, you know, coming in at this from different ways. Um, I'm, I'm speaking so vague and I feel like kind of an asshole doing that, but I just want to build the hype that Griff knows what's going to happen. All of us know a small sliver of it. And when we see the entire picture, I think it's going to come together really well for a very cool final product. Yeah, I think um, from today, you literally have a month. Get caught up. The day this comes out, I think, is June 8th. And episode 100 Mm -hmm. should be dropping July 9th. I think you're right. What, what were we today? I'm pretty Five? sure I am. We were 95, right? Six, seven, yep. eight, nine. 95 yep. came out. July 9th. Put it on your goddamn calendars. But in the meantime, let's talk about Gugs. Oh, is it my favorite monster time? It's my favorite monster time. Let me crack Fucking open a new hands. <sighs> All right, folks. So this is the segment where Griff and I take a classic Pathfinder monster and look at it from the Pathfinder lens as well as the not Pathfinder lens. So where did it come from? Who is it? What's its cultural significance? And just kind of have fun with it. These are monsters that have not appeared in our campaign. Maybe we have experience with some of them. Maybe we don't. Um, but it's a fun little thought exercise to, to think about how this these types of uh, monsters fit into the Galarian lore and our own human lore uh, and just play around with it a little bit. So the creature that we are talking about today is the Gug. And I'm going to read a quick little excerpt from the bestiary entry on this creature. This towering menace has a horrible, vertically aligned mouth and arms that split at the elbows into twin clawed hands. So, for those of you who don't know what a Gug is, effectively, it's a giant that lives underground and has these weird arms which are normal from the shoulder to the elbow, but at the elbow they pull a general grievous and split in half. And each one of those little forearms has its own hand. So effectively he has two arms that branch out into four hands. And probably the the, the most uh, most recognizable thing about this creature is that its head splits open vertically 100% and that's a giant mouth that has these big fangs on it. He's got these two tiny little beady red eyes, one at the base of the right hand of the skull and one at the base of the left hand of the skull. And the art from this stuff is terrifying. So, Griff, what do you want to talk about first, man? Do you want to talk about how this thing fits in the Pathfinder lore? Um, how does it, it exist outside? Or do you want to do some stat block stuff? Uh, why don't we... I like, I like where we talk about Pathfinder lore, then we get into like the actual uh, if it has it, and I know uh-huh. this creature does the the um, real world lore, and then I'll run through the I can run through the stat block part and kind of talk about how you might use it or how it might even fit into like the HLP. 
Great. So, so if that's the case, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off talking about the Pathfinder lore. Um, Griff, right now, I'm reading through a book. I got it here with me today. It's Darklands Revisited. Darklands Revisited. That's a good one for this creature. It's a great one. And, and when I kind of thought about, you know, it's probably time to bring back my favorite monster. I'm in the middle of reading this book, and I read Gug, and I'm like, you know what? These guys are fucking cool. So... This little splat book here, Darklands Revisited, hops a bit, hops into drow culture, Durgars, troglodytes, gugs, basically any of the stuff you would find underground. Civilizations, playable races, monsters, you name it. But as far as the gugs go, they're, they're about 16 feet tall, weigh a full ton, and I pulled out this little, little clause here that I really enjoyed reading. Quote, subterranean giants with an aberrant twist these these creatures um, were once a race of folks that had a little culture in the dreamlands or the dimension of dreams and worshipped gods in the dreamlands however they start they for whatever reason they turn their focus to um, worship of the outer gods. So these are the gods that you would see coming straight out of the HP Lovecraft mythos that exist in Pathfinder lore today. When they did so, those original gods cursed these things and send them underground still within the dreamlands. Eventually, these guys tunneled through into the material plane and now reside in this weird kind of space between um, a couple different layers of the the Darklands. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Darklands, basically they're these big, expansive, continent-large um, expanses underground on Galarian, the, the planet that Pathfinder takes place on. There's three levels. I forgot the name of the first level, the one closest to the surface, but the middle level is called Sekamina. That's where like the serpent folk cities are slumbering, and that's where drow society is. And then even further below that is a layer called Orv. And that's where things start getting really, really weird. I'm not even going to hop into that. But effectively, the Gugs tunneled right between the two and kind of unintentionally became gatekeepers between those second and third layers of the underworld. These creatures cannot speak, or they actually can speak, but it's extraordinarily painful. And one of the things I read here in Darklands Revisited was that it's hypothesized that those original gods, when they exiled them underground, actually cursed this this race of, uh, of creatures and morphed their physiology so their mouths ran vertical and are really gross. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so they can speak common. They're not unintelligent. In fact, um, we had, Griff, you and I have fought these creatures before. Um, they were one of the encounters towards the end of uh, Book 5 of Curse of the Crimson Throne. That's the skeletons yep. over Scarwall that Eric ran us through kind of as like a big module. We didn't play the whole campaign. We just pulled that book out. Uh, and when we fought Gugs, I thought they were just kind of these feral, giant creatures, and, and they are. But they're not unintelligent. They're just kind of driven mad by the gods they worship and, uh, you know, living underground and having a disgusting mouth that you can't talk to other people through. <laughs> disgusting mouth. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed 
diving into the three or four pages of, of Gug in Darklands Revisited, but you can also find these guys in the Bestiary 2 from Pathfinder 1st Edition and the Bestiary 1 from 2nd Edition. Um, I just have two quick more fun facts before we hop into the um, the actual stat block of these things. Or Did we decide stat block then? We'll do HP Lovecraft. Do HP Lovecraft. Okay, great. So, one, completely unprompted in Darklands Revisited, Gugs exist on the planet Octurn. All right. Sure. So, well, that's because the planet Octurn is the egg of a great old one. Yes. Well, how'd they get there? I don't know. That's just Matt, really cool. Their gods just put him there, man. Their I gods guess. are like, get over there. <laughs> so Octurn is a is a planet in the Pact World system that Galarian is a part of. It's way, way, way out there. If you're thinking Pact Worlds uh, equals our Milky Way, no. Our what's our solar system? Just the solar system? I don't know. It's a planet yeah. in like in like the Neptune or or, um, or Uranus position where. That's way the fuck out there, and it's this giant, disgusting, floating mass that has all of this Lovecraftian craziness on it. And recently, I think I think our our buddies in Southern Tomfoolery alluded to us that it's been confirmed that that's not a planet; it's a giant egg of an like a a, a yet to be birthed outer god, which is fucking nuts. And Gugs live there. But it wouldn't be my favorite monster without talking about the reproductive cycle of the creature at hand. Gugs oh are effective. <laughs> Gugs are effectively asexual in that they do not have sex organs. In fact, most of their art is uh, uh, bottomless. So if they were there, you'd see them. Um, however, they have a very strange reproductive cycle in that they go into combat. And if one of them falls, their tactics immediately shift from trying to find prey to dragging their buddy's body out of combat. Once they do that, one of the Gugs will eat the dead prey, or I'm sorry, not the dead prey, their dead buddy, and then hibernate for like five to six weeks while the others keep guard around him. After those four to like five to six weeks, this thing starts vomiting and it vomits up like five to six new baby gugs. Oh boy. So that's how they reproduce. Just, just gonna do them like that, huh? Just gonna do them like that. Um, I mean, if you're a divorce, get in there. Yeah, you've got a lot to learn from, from, from gugs. Um, as, as far as in our actual world here um, I could only find one real reference to Gugs in the HP Lovecraft mythos it comes from a story called the dream quest of unknown Kadath um, it's a story about this protagonist Randolph Carter he's a reoccurring character in several HP Lovecraft stories um, he has a dream and in, in, in which he sees this shining city over and over and over again and then one night he doesn't have that dream anymore and he keeps dreaming, you know, day after day, and he never sees the city again. He gets upset. So he goes on this quest to the dreamlands to try and find that city because he knows it's out there and he wants to visit it. But along the way, he goes on kind of an, uh, 
like an like a, an, an Odyssey quest, like Odysseus, where he sees a bunch of different parts of the dreamlands and sees some crazy stuff. At one point, he allies himself with ghouls, and him and these ghouls fight these these gugs, and um, it, it, he he sneaks by. It's a big melee between the two of them, and he goes off to finish his adventure where he encounters the god. Oh boy, this is going to be. Nyar Lithotep. Think I did an okay job at that. Who's yeah. who's an emissary of the outer gods? Uh, Nyar Lithotep is basically going to try and you know take him to. Um, oh boy, I can't remember the name of like the real, real big bad one. It's not Cthulhu. Um, starts with an A. I'm gonna get roasted in the comment section for it, but eventually. Randolph Carter realizes what's going to happen. He knows it's a bad deal, and he tricks Nyler Thotep and jumps off, convinces himself that because he's in the dreamlands, he can wake up, and he does. End of the story. However, even though they had mostly just a cameo role, the Gugs have kind of gotten this cool, uh, cool air about them within the HLP Lovecraft community, you know, fan base. And even in Pathfinder, they've got this little nod to him where ghouls, I'm sorry, gugs hate ghasts and will fight them automatically. I was just about to bring that up if you didn't. Yep. uh, That they actually eat them. Yes. They can subsist off of uh, undead flesh. They can. But weirdly enough, even though ghouls are less popular... I'm sorry, less powerful. Jeez, I can't talk. I've been talking for too long. Ghouls are less powerful, so less of a threat. Gugs are scared of them. And it's because they were they were enemies in this dream quest of unknown Kadath story. So I thought that was a, a cool little nod to, to the big man H, uh, HP. And um, because Gugs, you know, don't really pop up in other parts of pop culture like some of our other creatures have... I went ahead and dropped Gug into UrbanDictionary.com. Oh. <laughs> also, I think I think you were thinking of uh, Azathoth. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, good call. Thank you. Yes, he's 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 a big bad boy. Um, so from UrbanDictionary.com, the number one definition of Gug is. The correct way of life. A word that means nothing and everything at the same time. Alright, sure. Don't know where that comes from. The number two definition. It's the Australian word for taint. (laughs) The Australian word for taint. Yep. It's Australian for taint. Yep. So, thanks again, Urban Dictionary. I shouldn't have expected anything more. We're going to have to ask Mike on the Discord, because he's not caught up yet. He won't be for a while, but he's from Australia. This is very pertinent to him. Ooh. Yeah, we should should hit him up, see what he says. Hey, completely randomly, what are your thoughts on Gugs? What are your thoughts on Gug? All right, man. What was that, tight? That That was a whole lot of info that I just dumped, and it really doesn't even scratch the surface of the several pages 
um, that I read on these guys. Just it's just some of the cool stuff. It's a creature that you know some people might look over and might never get to because it's a little little bit higher of a CR. So uh, I thought it would be fun to highlight them for a little bit, and I'd love to hear about what they do in combat. Well, speaking of scratching the surface, first off, you can't have four interconnecting arms without having four interconnecting claw attacks. Absolutely. You can't have four claw attacks without having a rend. <laughs> so that is uh, one of the primary features of these creatures. They're uh, CR-10. They're chaotic evil large aberrations. They're... Um, you know, despite having those weird beady red eyes, they only have dark vision, which kind of surprised me just from the like picture of them. Mm-hmm. I was almost expecting them to have some sort of strange vision trait, but no dice. Um, got a 24 AC, not bad. Uh, about 130 health, and they're um, they're pretty willful. I think that kind of plays into the fact that they're kind of insane worshiping older or elder gods mm-hmm. um so their will's a plus 12 um four plus nine reflex plus six immune to disease and poison but some of the really cool shit about them uh first off is that they have this like very amorphous body it's like when you watch them move it looks disgusting it looks like they go out of joint and and back into joint over and over and that affords them several pretty cool things uh the first off is uh compression so they're a large creature but they can easily get into small spaces where the party might be um and it won't really impede them the other thing is that they kind of pop their joints out and for a large creature have 15 feet of reach. Uh, The other really cool thing is that they're built in with uh, the lunge feet, which gives them 20 feet of reach. Great. Which which is an amazing add. So as written, Gugs have... um, a couple of feats just built in awesome blow blind fight combat reflexes um, improved and greater bull rush lunge power attack and skill focus perception um, some of that stuff's cool I think the bull rush the greater bull rush uh, the the tactical way I would play a gug is having a group of gugs because they're um, they can actually pose a threat to a higher level party with that greater bull rush what you do is with greater bull rush if you if you move somebody they actually provoke from your allies oh wow I, i'm and looking at that right now i've never i i did i've never read greater bull rush before you're absolutely correct that would be devastating yeah. and so gugs with that crazy reach can all kind of stand around the battlefield and bull rush people around and get free attacks and they have combat reflexes so they can do that multiple times if all the gugs do that they can just really put the hurt on a party by all getting these free attacks and kind of owning the battlefield by moving people around now one thing i would do if i was leveling up a gug with like class levels or if i was changing some of the feats around i know some of you like i do that play 
um, with World is Square fix the feats because if you want something to be challenging and it already has power attack and you're playing with those rules, you can you can kind of make them to the level of your players by giving them a free feat. Um, these would be such a good candidate for the whirlwind attack feats. Oh, God. Because yeah. with that lunge and the 20 foot of reach and it's a natural attack so it can it can reach both in and it can reach five feet away. It can reach 20 feet away. And um, you can, I mean, you can dominate a room, especially with that compression ability. You can get into a small space and just, if you have whirlwind attack, just start whirlwinding the party. And I mean, talk about a blender. They, I mean, with their claws, it's not, it's not crazy damage. Like they're, their bites at a plus 17 and their claws are at a plus 17. Uh, the bites 1d8 plus 7, the claws are 1d6 plus 7, and then their rends 1d6 plus 10. So it's not it's not crazy damage, but you can either have someone pinned up against the wall, attack them five times, or whirlwind the whole party. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just I'm just envisioning the the terrifying scenario of watching one of these things squeeze through a hole. I mean, it's like a it's like a mouse under a door frame, right? That's like what compression is. Something that really looks like it shouldn't fit somewhere, just squeezing in, and then when it oozes into your spot, when you thought you were safe, hiding in this little uh, little closet or or small cave or something, this thing just opens up. You have no maneuverability. Your casters are locked down because they're you know they could lose spells. They got to fight or they got to cast defensively. It's it just can turn into a mess real fast. And I love. I also love the um, the image of these guys. You know, kind of circling the covered wagons and just batting people back and forth, uh, accruing tons of attacks of opportunity. That's that's just as terrifying. It's it's funny you bring up like the small cavern thing, because that's actually how they hunt. They'll like squeeze themselves into a crevice and just wait for prey. Uh. It's like a it's almost like a trapdoor spider or something, right? And it mm-hmm. just kind of like if you've ever seen one of those attack its prey, it like explodes out of this too small hole, and it's just a mass of limbs. And that's what these are like when they attack their prey um i i would say as a gm these are best used against a um higher level party in groups i don't think a single one of these is actually that scary mm-hmm. um i think you guys could take on a single one of these you just wouldn't want to get locked down by the by the um full round attack but if you could avoid that it's it's got high health but it's ac is nothing crazy Eclipse could slam dunk on it. Yeah. Definitely. It's it would be possible. Might be a little tough. I mean, even, you know, you get into one of those situation uh, situational combats where different terrain or something could be in some serious trouble, but it's doable. Yeah, I think um for the HLP specifically, this is a cool adventure path to actually bring Gugs in because of that very unique trait that they that they eat undead mm-hmm. uh, it, it makes it very easy to bring them into like a scenario where you're hunting undead and all of a sudden um, 
it's like eerily quiet. There are no longer the like groaning of zombies or any of that. And these gugs have taken up residence and have been like eating the oh. eating the undead remnants of a place. Yeah, very easy to write in there. That would be. It makes sense why they were in Skeletons of Scarwall. 100% yes. Yeah. So. And you know what? Um, they're not unintelligent, so maybe we could uh, convert them to our side and hunt the undead with us. I think that would work very well. <laughs> be an interesting strategy. I mean, I, you work with chaotic, evil people every day. Hey, you know what? Gotta break a couple eggs to make an omelet, you know what I'm saying? I mean, Eclipse would have no problem with it. There we go. Well, alright. There, there you go, guys. You got this uh, horrible abomination of uh, uh, a, a very terrifying thing. Um, we have fun talking about it, and we'll, we'll do this again in the future. Don't know what creature will be next, but look forward to it. I'm sure it'll be something fucked up, because it usually is. <laughs> in the meantime, though, I think we're getting to about that section of the show where people have been asking us questions and Griff, they do deserve answers. Well, I mean, this is a part of the show that I warned you about. I'm going to have to dip out and grab myself my bourbon. So I'll be right back. Yeah, let me grab a beer too. All right, we're going to put this on pause, but not actually pause recording because that'd be a bad idea. Yep, that's a bad plan. And I'm back with enough bourbon to get me through this part of the episode. It's just three questions. Calm down. Our first one comes from Alex. You may know him as a man who has the last name Giordano. Question. If you could rename Carrion Crown, what would you call it? He goes on to explain. I have a tendency to rename campaigns. Curse of the Crimson Throne is Curse of That Red Chair. House on Hook Street is Dreams, Spiders, and Drugs, Oh My. When I ran a horde of the Dragon Queen slash Rise of Tiamat, it was known as the Chronicles of Steve because any non-named PC or non-NPC was named Steve. Good choice. Love the name for your campaign. Um, but yeah, I, that's that's a good question. Uh, Griff, did you have something for this one? Um, I think I'd maybe be a little bit more on the nose with it. I feel like a Paizo official name would definitely be like Way of Whispers okay. or something yeah. and it would fit. Um Yeah, I mean I think I think that's what I that's what I go for, honestly. It is a more overt like they there was actually uh, the I think it's in the in the front matter of book six where they talk about how they didn't have the name carrying crown ready to go really or like when it yeah for for when it was um like literally the deadline to publish it did did they give any, any uh, indication of what else might they you know what they were calling it in the meantime or anything just, just uh, didn't know the name. they had a couple of they had a couple of i think crown was still in the name but it was something else it was also an alliteration but it wasn't carrying crown it was um, like corpse's crown or something like that. Like, I, I can't remember exactly, but it, they were like, uh, yeah, we, we thought of carrying crown very last minute. <laughs> hey, well it, it fits, man. I, I like it. And, uh, it seems appropriate, right? There's, 
there was a carrying crown thing in one of our evil interludes, so that works, I guess. As for me, I'm going to go the other direction with this. Um, I'm going to say I really, really appreciated the name The Ferast and the Furious. Thought it was great. So, yeah. so many references to Phrasma. I mean, a lot of it's driven by my character, but also it's just a very prevalent thing in an undead heavy campaign. I would, I would, uh, I would, I would raise that bet though, and take it from the Ferast and the Furious to the Ferast and the Furriest, um, because there's a lot of <laughs> action in our campaign. So, I think that, that's pretty fair. I think that's a great name for like a podcast of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, a play on words. Like I think feel like Paizo might get sued for calling it that. Oh, there's no way they could do it. There's no way. But yeah. if 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 we had to like rename our run of it, that's probably that's that's probably what I would vote for. Nice. No, that'd be fun. Um, we got a we got another one from By Gorgeous Steve Tart. Great name, by the way. In light of our recent weekly ritual, what he's referring to here is when uh, we have our cabin fever prevention Fridays, where we watch some bad movies with the carrying crowd. What is Join your the favorite? Discord if you're not on it already, get on the goddamn Discord. How many times do we have to tell you? <laughs> if you want to uh, watch a movie, get on the Discord. It's free. What is your favorite terrible movie to watch with friends so far? So I'm not sure if he's asking what has been our favorite or what your favorite to watch with friends is. And so I've kind of, uh, I'm going to throw a couple out there. I'm going to say by far our most successful bad movie was Cats. Everybody yeah, loved yeah. Cats. We've watched that together pretty frequently too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so insane. And I know we dove into that movie for way too long in a previous Zone of Truth. But really, it really epitomizes what bad movies should be. Like get wasted and watch it it's don't want please don't watch it alone um get wasted and watch it with your friends you really enjoy it um one that we haven't watched as a group that i think over the last couple years has become my favorite bad movie to watch with people is sleepaway camp that's a great one i think we should watch that (laughs) we should that would be great I think it, it really combines some of the best things about good, bad movies, like cheesy 80s nonsense, things that don't age particularly well. Like there's um, there's like a child predator subplot that like there's a child predator at this camp that people that like the other <coughs> camp like leaders are laughing about. I mean, he gets his comeuppance and like he doesn't do anything in the movie, but like he makes jokes and it's like, oh, boy, can't do that in 2020. Um, (laughs) but like there's there's insane characters like there's little kids just swearing like crazy and some of the craziest kills of all time and and one so the story is it's it's all these kids go to camp and people start getting killed that's all there is to it but at one point after this is some point after an entire a full game of baseball is cut into the movie. You just watch an entire game of baseball, pretty much. Some kid says, "Hold up, I gotta take a wicked shit," and goes and takes goes to take a shit. Someone sticks a broom handle through the door and then drops a beehive on top of him, and he gets stung to death. And that was just wild. 
I mean, you got to know your victims if you're allergic to bees. That's uh, it's a death sentence right there. Yeah. So the combination of just crazy kills, ridiculous 80s stuff, and then things that like age extremely poorly enough so that like you laugh because it's like, what were they thinking? How is this ever allowable? Um, really come together to make it just a movie like none other. What do you think, man? Um, I'm going to say two that were probably my favorite to watch with you guys. Like back when we would do the, the movie nights and we would spend a night and we would watch two shitty movies, the five of us together, mm-hmm. um, before the podcast, before we all grew up. Yep. <laughs> um, one of those was uh, definitely Highlander 2 for oh, the mileage boy. the mileage we got out of making fun of that fucking movie. I just remember watching that and I couldn't believe that they got Sean Connery to come back for that one. And just like laughing so hard I cried at some of the fucking ridiculous Sean Connery scenes because that must that may as well have been like Highlander 2 Sean Connery is in 75% of the movie instead of being the Spaniard like <laughs> that yeah, dies definitely a, a Spanish person Sean Connery <laughs> yeah yeah with his uh, I'm the Spaniard <laughs> <laughs> sure whatever nice. you say bud I mean that was that was bad in the first one, but then when like uh, when Danny Boy or whatever starts playing as he sacrifices himself, fuck's <laughs> sakes. Uh, so I I, th- I think we gotta watch that one again sometime because that's one of the few that I mean usually we'll watch these shitty ones multiple times. Yeah. Um, but that's one of the ones that I don't think we've watched multiple times. I think Zardoz is up there with just like horrible Sean Connery stuff that just seems to like I don't know what it is about Sean Connery being in horrible movies but it just makes me laugh so much yep Um, yep but my other one is kind of what you were alluding to with Sleepaway Camp something that might have been innocuous in the in the 70s or 80s that uh, would not fly today uh, and that is Ladybugs. Oh, boy. It's it's a Rodney Dangerfield movie where Rodney Dangerfield, fucking out of his element, coaches a, like, tween, like, I don't know, like 11 to 13-year-old girls soccer team. And, and there so many people that are, that, like, grew up at that time remember watching the movie and don't remember how ridiculous not appropriate ridiculous and like innuendo filled it is for like a fucking kids movie a but like he is making innuendos like with the kids and it's so fucking weird well also like it must be one of Rodney Dangerfield's like worst movies oh definitely and don't get me wrong we love it it's it's absurd but like the the entire plot is that like the ladybugs are a bad soccer team so he brings in this like ringer he has a boy dress up like a girl and yeah, it's it's uh she's the man before like reversed in the worst yeah. way <laughs> but it just it just feels bad and that it's like 
Uh, you gotta bring, like, a man in to solve this woman's problems. Like, come on. Come on, man. And the amount of, like, weird interactions between him and that kid, just, like, for the sake of jokes, but still, it's like, <laughs> we're the writers on this fucking thing. I remember when I watched that movie with you and Haley. I think it might have been the first, it might have been the second time I saw it, but the first time you guys saw it. Um, and I think Haley, like, almost walked out because there was, like, the slow mo scene of, like, a preteen like girl, year old. like, oh, God. jogging towards the camera in a bikini, and you're, oh, so uncomfortable. It's, it's like, excruciating to watch but like but but like it's so fucking funny it's so fun to make fun of i i feel like the entire time we watched it that one time at your house uh the three of us 90 percent of it was just our outrage at how this could be a movie (laughs) how how could this be how could this exist (laughs) this how could this slide like this isn't this isn't okay yeah We'll have to put that one on the list. Yeah, I think I think those are my two. Um, with with some of the just some of my favorite ones are like the cheesy '80s action movie. I think I really like uh, the one where Pam Anderson is in the uh, it's like Barb Barb Chain or something. Uh, barbed I can't remember wire. the name of it. Barbed wire. Barbed wire. Yeah. That one is that uh, great. Whew, that one's a that that one's a trip. Yeah, and then of course Neil Breen. Well, yeah, I mean Neil Breen. You, you get desensitized to it after a while <laughs> after you've seen a lot of them. See, that's the thing because if you read this question in that in that context, right? Like, what is your favorite terrible movie to watch with friends? Like, if you've seen enough Neil Breen films are seen then enough times to lay that harm on somebody else and watch them. They're like, they, they just crumble. That's, in, that's entertaining. I mean, that was us with the wizard. So, so for a while, fuck that movie, <laughs> that movie <laughs> completely drew out my rage. <laughs> That's got it. And then there were like two times where I, like, you guys put it on and then I didn't fall asleep and everyone was asleep and I was watching fucking Wizard So So by myself. Yeah, we we got we got really into Wizard So So for a while. Um, I think that's on Amazon Prime. There's no words to describe that. I won't even try. <laughs> Just take the worst animation you've ever seen. And then slash the budget to a sixth of what that must have been. Imagine if a wizard had five intelligence, (laughs) (laughs) but still the ability to cast spells. (laughs) Yeah, that about sums it up. That about sums it up. Um, All right. So we've we've heard about alternate names from Carrying Crown. We've talked about some of the best worst movies ever. Um we're going to bring it around tonight. This question comes from a relatively ish newer member to our carrying crown family. And boy, do we love him. Sir Newt, the man, the myth, the legend. And he's asking a good one. One of these ones that I like to end the shows with. What's your favorite barbecue recipe? Ooh, damn. 
So, so I know you've got the big smoker, right? Um, yeah. I, I live in an apartment. I don't have like access to my own barbecue. So, frankly, I don't have like a recipe or anything. I don't know much um, for like doing my own stuff. What I will say, though, like the go-to, it might not be like the highest tier quality. I think you know, that might be like a brisket or something. But like for my money, that that fucking smoke pork butt hits every time you want to know the secret of uh of my smoke pork butt i think the listeners do i think yeah I, th- I feel like that's where this is getting at um my secret is that i really enjoy um spice and i know that a smoker no, no matter what spice blend you put on your meat it's going to make the bark, but it it's going to be mellowed out by the fact that it's in the smoker for many, many hours, depending on what you're smoking. could be half a day. Um, so I like to do kind of a traditional, like, brown sugar, um, cumin. If you look up any um, pulled pork seasoning blend it will work i've used multiple but then what i do is i find um it's store-bought and it's the most places label it in a in a big shaker just like a um just like some of the um barbecue seasonings come in uh nashville hot chicken seasoning Mm -hmm. take that and in equal parts to your other um, seasonings, because most most times when I measure stuff out, I'll do like one part this, one part that, one part that, one part that, unless it's something like brown sugar where I either want more or less of it depending on the meat. Um, so I'll do one part the Nashville hot chicken seasoning, and that makes the crust spicy without making it saltier. Uh, the the bark is just has that nice spice which gets mellowed out by smoking for that long and so when I do pulled pork I like to do that especially because um, if you pair that with any sweet barbecue sauce it makes a really nice flavor because you have your spicy and your sweet and you can get or make a spicy barbecue sauce but it's kind of nice to have the meat have that flavor and then have the sauce be the sweetness that it is um so for for pork that's what i do um but i mean i for for my money um it could go two ways like something that i'd actually eat for a while and something that's like completely Decadent, some a big indulgence, exactly. Uh, so my big indulgence would be um, instead of using the uh, end of a brisket, use a pork belly, cube it, season it, smoke it for six hours, throw it into a pan, slather it in honey and your favorite barbecue sauce smoke that shit for another two hours and then glaze it in the oven and that makes pork burnt ends which 
literally just completely melt in your mouth. Dude, when we, we, I, and I'm sure you've made them more than once, but the one time I had them, I had like three or four of them and they, they were so rich. It filled me up immediately, but holy shit. They, they taste amazing. But yeah, if, if, if you don't have a group of like uh, 15 people to take it down, you're not going to eat more than more than three or four cubes. You're right. It's, it's just too rich. That would, that's one of those things that would be incredible when you make it. But if you make, if you don't have all those folks over, and that's like what you have to parse out for dinners or lunches, like through the work week, bad planning. So for me, that is the smoked appetizer. That is mm-hmm. a that is an appetizer or like a finger food type thing that you would pass out before the main meal. If you have enough room on your smoker, then that's something you could do in conceivably less time than the smoked main meal or you could do that as the appetizer and smoke some chicken because everyone's going to feel like they're going to waddle out of your house with pork burnt ends so you you smoke some chicken and then everybody's like okay I'm eating kind of healthy actually for dinner and it evens out Um, but I think the easiest uh, so I'll just describe like my brisket process because I think it's fairly uniform, but there's some contention about um, what folks do and what folks don't do. And there's, you know, some people crutch it with foil, yada, yada, yada. So uh, Steve's actually been a part of this process many, many a time, because usually mm-hmm. we'll throw it on when we're drunk at like one in the morning uh, yep. and and have it for like a early dinner. But um, what I do is I... Um, I cut the fat so that it is at most um, an inch thick, and even if even if that, usually like half an inch thick. And what I like to do is I cut flaps in the fat so that it meets the muscle, um, and so that it allows um, it allows the smoke to penetrate better into the fat. Um, so I do that, and then. My uh, for for almost anything I smoke, I slather it in yellow mustard. The reasoning behind that is that um, all of your seasonings will stick perfectly to that. Yellow mustard completely loses its flavor after a smoke. You can't taste it, but it creates the perfect bark. You don't have to rely on shit just sticking to your meat um, because your meat's moist. <laughs> it, yeah. it'll stick. It'll stick to anything. Uh, and it allows you to get a lot of seasoning and a lot of different seasoning on there, which will build your crust. Um, although with a, with a brisket, it's funny I say that because with a brisket, I mean, less is more. A lot like a steak, a brisket doesn't need the, the brown sugar like a, like a pork butt does. Honestly, sweetness is probably not the way you want to go with it. Um, I like a lot of salt, a lot of... Um, a lot of black pepper. Um, I'll use cumin on my brisket. I think that you can get away with like a Montreal steak seasoning. Tends to actually work pretty well on a brisket. Um, and again, that's kind of like the, it's it's almost similar to um, an Italian seasoning with some of the herbs that are in it. Um, but slather that bad boy with those spices throw it in 
fat down. Don't touch it. Look at it maybe three times. It'll smoke for probably, it'll smoke for hour and a half a pound to two hours a pound, depending on if you get a big stall. Um, you want that shit right at uh, 195 degrees when you take it out. Do not crutch it. I don't. Be patient. Don't fuck around with foil. It'll speed it up, but it's uh, it's better to leave it alone, in my experience. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, foil the sucker immediately after it comes out. Full foil. Wrap a towel around it. Put it in a cooler. Rest it for at least two hours. That will allow it to cook itself even more, get more tender in your cooler. So that's why Steve and I always throw it on at one in the morning. Because we, so we can have take time. it off at, at one in the afternoon and you can leave it in, the, in that cooler for up to four hours. If you do, it, it's going to be hot as it was when it came off and uh, it'll fall the fuck apart and be real tasty. So that's how I would... Um, go about a brisket which is one of my favorite things to smoke um i think pulled pork is like the easiest to not fuck up and uh make taste amazing so pulled pork if you haven't smoked anything before yeah and after all that work you can watch your resident brooks equivalent house five pounds of meat in a night yeah it's it's always fun to see see my favorite part of uh smoking meat is like the excuse to be watching it, but also be drinking a beer every hour. Mm-hmm. You got you got pace so it out. Yeah, you got it, but it helps you pace it out perfectly. Mm-hmm. You're just like chilling outside, like easy does it. Man, it's been a while since we've had a big smoke. Man, I'm looking forward to it again. I'm sure it'll happen soon. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see with the the state of pandemics and whatever. Yeah, I know. Well, we can always dream. Maybe I'll smoke something for episode 100. Eh, see, that would be nice. That would be nice. Can listen to us all be super bloated. Maybe we should uh, wait to eat it until <laughs> after. <laughs> Part three of episode 100. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's not eat in between episodes. Um, That being said, Griffin... I think we're getting to about the end of the show. So congratulations. You succeeded. You will save. Um, Thanks for joining me tonight. You know, sometimes it is nice just to recenter ourselves, talk about the show a little bit, um, talk about some other stuff that we love about Pathfinder, and then just shoot the shit on some kind of wacky questions. So thanks for joining me, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's been a while since we, it's just been us. So, yeah. Um, We'll uh, we'll have to do some. We'll, you know, we'll have to do this again soon. But in the meantime, I'm sure we'll find some more fun people to get on the show. Um, is there anything else we need to plug? We talked about episode 100. We talked about Twitch streaming. I don't know. We're not doing anything else, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not a plug for us, but I think as as we've talked about, um, even on episodes of the main show. Um, I just want folks to know that we're always going to be a sounding board for people, a resource for people, um, people that want to talk, people that 
um, are feeling, you know, upset with the state of the world, I think we've made our stance fairly clear on what's going on. Um, and I think the community that we've fostered shares those beliefs. So it, you know, if, if you're, if you're frustrated, if you're upset, uh, if you need a place to talk, if you need a place that, um, isn't, um, isn't like the Twitters of the world with a million fucking voices shooting you down. Um, you're always welcome to talk to us, whether it's discord or, um, email or whatever DM us. Um, I, I want you to feel like you have people to talk to if you don't. So that's what all I would plug. I think, um, I think it's important that our community is what it is. And we're the kind of people that, um, that don't want you to be alone, that, that wants you to be able to talk through some of the issues of the day. So uh, I just put that out there. Yeah. I, well said, man, you know, it's people, um, I've said a lot of negative things about 2020 in general, and I tend to agree with them. Uh, it's tough to go from a global pandemic directly into some absolutely horrendous brutalities taken on the black community. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I'd like to echo your sentiments. We're all five of us will always be here for, for the folks at home. Um, you know, we support you never stop fighting for what's right. And black lives matter. We love you all out there. Um, just please, whatever you do, stay safe. That's, that's the number one thing. Stay safe keep fighting another day yeah we love you all exactly exactly we want you to be able to fight for what you believe in next week too so hell yeah um not that that means don't protest for what you believe in but just yes be safe yes well it's been fun man yeah dude uh, I I can't express any more my excitement for the stuff that, that is coming down the pipe I'm uh, I'm so ready to record a hundred. Hell yeah, man! Me too. In the meantime, I know you got something to say from the folks at home, so let's do it. Yeah, guys, uh, finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. <laughs> <laughs>